Father, it is such a pleasure to know that you have called us into a relationship with you. Lord, you called Abraham your friend. In your word, you tell us that you reveal your truth to your friend. Lord, I pray, God, that the old song says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that that we will recognize that we find our peace and rest and our hope in you. And Lord, as a friend who sticks closer than a brother, as a friend who chooses to tell the secret mysteries of the world, I pray, God, that we'll tune our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. God, there's such a distortion, there's such a distraction, there's such a a radio interference, if you will, in the signals of this world, trying trying to humiliate and bring fear into the body of Christ. And God, I pray that we'll have a clear line of what you are speaking to us, that we would not allow anything to hinder our drawing near to you, that we will be so close, God, that when you whisper, we hear your voice. Your word says that my sheep know my voice. And I pray that we not only would recognize and know, but God, that we would be children of obedience, children who walk in truth, children who walk in light. God, thank you that we are here tonight. Lord, we love you, and we, we know that we're called according to your purpose. We pray that tonight will be a night of blessing, a night of encouragement, a night that you are exalted and you are lifted up. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. What my sins and grief to bear. <laughs> what a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. I might be in trouble for starting that with them, but anyway. Well, look at this group of young people over here. Come on now. Looking good in the neighborhood. Come on. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Candy. Thank you, Pastor Bill and Pastor Paige. You guys are a blessed. Praise the Lord. There's no food over there, Hal. You got to stay in here. <laughs> You're young enough to go there? I hear you. I hear you. Come on. Praise the Lord. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Hear somebody continuing on. Come on. Is that Miss Linda back there? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. (laughs) One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. Lord, help me today. Show me the way one day at a time. (laughs) If I could have an usher, somebody's waved offering at me. We don't want to take away anyone's opportunity from the blessings of giving. Amen. I'm really thankful that Dr. Mosier, did you want to did you want to explain the plan for the next few weeks? Well, come on, brother. We appreciate Dr. Steve Mosier. He was uh, traveling out sent out the California way, seeing some kids graduate. Yes, retire from the Navy. Woo. Pretty. Moving and touching when you have to get permission from your 
senior officer to go ashore. So 21 years and three months, and he's just 38. Goodness. But anyway, <clears throat> we are beginning our summer connect, summer quarter. There are 13 Wednesday nights from May the 4th till July the 29th or whatever the last one is. The last one is going to be during the time of the General Assembly. This is an even-numbered years. Every two years, Church of God has a General Assembly. But in our sanctuary class, we're going to have 10 sessions brought by men and women of God in the study of Galatians. And many believe that the book to the Galatians was the first Pauline epistle. Others say that 1st and 2nd Thessalonians was the first. But I wanted Pastor Dyer to be the alpha, the beginning of this series, of this study. I'll be bringing the, the study a couple or three times Sister Kim Dyer will be bringing it a couple of times, and Brother Derek Harmon will be bringing it two or three times. So uh, once one Wednesday night per month, we're going to be doing a uh, separate activity or a group activity. The last Wednesday night in May, the men and the women are going to break, break out or have a breakout session. In June... The last Wednesday night in June, which is the 29th, uh, we're going to have a family event, which is preceding the uh, Independence Day. Uh, you know America's going to be 247 years old in July. That's pretty amazing. And in July, uh, the week of the 13th, we're going to be having vacation Bible school. So three Wednesday nights in this 13-week period, we're going to have combined or separated events. But 10 of those sessions, we're going to be speaking on the book of Galatians. And actually, uh, in chapter 1, Pastor Paul is going to be bringing that tonight. Uh, and I told him, go, there's six chapters, go as far as you want to or begin with the beginning. I said, I'll come in next week and I'll still probably go back and and have an introduction to Galatians. But uh, uh, Galatia was a territory. Oh, am I getting your... Uh, okay, all right, okay. But the, but the word says churches of Galatia. So in Colossae, there was a church. and Ephesus, there was a church. And of course, you know the seven churches that John the Revelator, the Holy Ghost, speaks to. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But Galatia was a territory that had more than one church. And they all seemed to have the same problem. And uh, so it, it gets exciting. I don't know uh, how many of you get excited when you read the Word of God, but I do. Our job, the thing we're looking at, our focus on Wednesday night and Sunday morning is to reach, teach, win, and develop souls for Christ. You got to reach them, then you got to teach them, then you got to win them, then you got to develop them. So that's what we're here about. And uh, so, uh, Pastor Dyer, if you want to begin before the beginning, and I was glad to see the little pamphlets too that tells us. I don't know if we'll have these every week or if it's just a kickoff, but but this is going to be great. We're going to try to tram tram cram twelve weeks of study into ten weeks. Uh, the guide we are using is the Bible, the Holy Bible. Bible means the book, and it is the book. But we do have another resource or two that we're utilizing that has twelve lessons, but. It'll go pretty quick. Love you, Pastor. Thank, Thank you, you. Love you too, man. Appreciate you, brother. Amen. He's he is uh, def definitely representing the number one baseball team in the nation. <laughs> uh, 
Amen. The Dr. Mosier uh, alluded to a material by the Church of God, um, the, and it's by William Sims, professor at Lee University. Uh, I actually had the privilege 28 years ago to go to Israel with Bill Simmons, and um, great, great guy, great man of God. Um, he's one of the one of those left who really believe who really believe and who are really founded and grounded in the Word. Amen. I'm going to read just a little bit of the, the introduction that he wrote um, and then jump in. Paul's epistle to the Galatians can be described as God's declaration of independence for our souls. From beginning to end, Galatians sounds forth freedom for everyone willing to receive it by faith. Galatians, grant, Galatians grants us freedom to become the true children of God, uh, the true children of God. Um, Galatians presents true spiritual freedom that only comes through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Galatians safeguards the freedom of the spirit by empowering believers to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. This is the freedom to experience miracles of the spirit by the hearing of faith and not by the works of the law. And he goes on and talks about that in this, in this scripture that, of Galatians that it affords us a lot of liberties. And I'm so thankful for the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. For he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Amen. And um, the material that, was, that we kind of grappled in, I'm going to go by the outline of it. But it's basically an inductive study. And, and if any of you guys would like one of these books, it's an inductive study. So it's really good for a one-on-one -on -one personal um, journey through Galatians. But to teach out of, it's not as good. <laughs> and so, um, so I have chosen to, to look into um, Warren, Wears, Warren Wearsby. Wearsby, however you want to say that. Uh, some of his commentary material, I've looked into David Gusick, uh, Chuck Smith, and, um, you know, just pulling information and, uh, and felt like these were some good drawing materials from. So when I look at the introduction, we'll start with Galatians 1. I, I have the challenge of staying in this outline. It's only verses 1 through 10 for tonight. <laughs> I think I can handle that. So, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, I want you guys, if at any point, because um, I can get into preaching mode and... I really want us to be more of uh, a teaching, growing. So if you have questions or if you see something that you can highlight or something that you um, want to interject, feel free to raise your hand. I'll do my best to identify and allow you to be a part of that. In the scripture, Paul, what a great place to start. Paul, the apostolic Authorship of this magnificent letter is virtually unquestionable. Most scholars are very uh, aware that this is a Pauline epistle. Galatians, as, as I like the fact that uh, Dr. Simmons put out there, is a declaration of independence. Some say a declaration of independence of the soul. Um, others say a declaration of independence of Christian liberty. The great Reformer Martin Luther especially loved this letter. He called uh, the Galatians his Catherine von Bora, which he named it after his wife because he said he was married to it. Uh, evidently, he liked it a lot, right? Galatians is, is a passionate letter, the outpouring of the soul of a preacher on fire for the Lord and deeply committed to bringing his hearers to an understanding of, of what that saving faith is. Powerful. You know, uh, some would say that, uh, wonder when Galatians was, was written. Um, some said 
around the time of um, A.D. 50. Uh, it, in, in looking at it, you can see he never mentions the, um, the Jerusalem Council in, in this letter. So you would assume that it was after or before Acts chapter 15 when he wrote this. So this would have been um, after his first journey or his first missionary journey, which would have been into southern um, Galatia, but yet pre uh, the council. So therefore, we're looking around 50. It was also about 15 years after he was saved. Can you imagine writing this 15 years after you were saved? Powerful, right? And so 15 years after his Damascus Road experience, which happened around 35 A.D., Paul writes this word, Galatia. There's something that um, I loved what uh, Chuck Smith talked about. He says, now, because he said that Paul is writing to dispel a lot of false teaching. And so in that dispelling false teaching, what do false teachers try to do first? They, they come in, and then they try to question the authority. They come in, and they automatically try to question the, uh, the status of the teacher so that they can bring doubt in people's minds. And Now, these false teachers came in, and, and the, the first thing they sought to do was discredit Paul. And, and that's typical of, of false teachers. That's typical of people who try to push out. You know, you might have been studying under a minister. You might have been sitting under this person for a long time. Uh, but then they try to, someone tries to come in and discredit them. Oh, did you know, did you hear such and such? You know, uh, how many have ever had that happen? You know, if somebody's tried to discredit, you've seen that happen. Somebody just trying to discredit someone else in their ministry, and their calling. But they always, uh, in that process, they're always trying to challenge those. It's not necessarily they're trying to evangelize anybody. And, and really it's not that they're trying to... Um, take away from what they believe. They're just trying to change their belief system. They're trying to tweak it a little bit to what they feel is right. Uh, it's interesting, though, when you look at the Word of God, because it says, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, what's interesting is, is that the same questions that were probably the Pharisees would, would have been asking then is how people do the same thing now, right? I mean, when the Pharisees came to John the Baptist and, and he was baptizing people, what was the first thing they asked? By, by whose authority are you doing that? What gives you the right to do that? Whose authority are you doing that in? Isn't that, isn't that seem about right? I mean, you know, if you... If you look at like the Mormon church, you know, this very, authority is a very big issue. You know, they have 12 apostles or 12 disciples or 12, yeah, 12 apostles in their church that gives authority down. And so authority is a big issue. And, and, and we, we see that a lot because we see that even in the laying on of hands, right? The apostolic authority, we see that in a lot of apostolic move, movements. You know, the, well, let me pass this anointing down to you, brother. Let me lay my hands on you and pass this down, right? And we, and we see that, that, that this apostolic authority, you know, well, I can re reach back and I can say, well, this man, this bishop, you know, anointed me and he was anointed by that bishop and, this, and that bishop was anointed by that person and it goes all the way back to Peter and then Peter anointed them. So we know we're in the lineage of God, right? And I'm not discrediting the fact that, that we're in a denomination who gives ordination to people and I'm thankful for the covering but ultimately we recognize that the anointing of God is is directly from him amen uh, and, and and that's what Paul was trying to look back it wasn't he's was saying going back to well Peter's the one that anointed me and they were trying to basically they came in saying hey you know of what authority are you doing this you're not sent from Jerusalem Jerusalem didn't send you here we we have come from Jerusalem we have come from you know, and here they were as Judaizers coming in trying to put in a different message. Paul said, hey, I wasn't ordained by man. I'm an apostle, but not of men, neither by men. Man didn't call me. Mama didn't call me. Grandma didn't call me. God himself, right, called me. On the road to Damascus, Jesus came and spoke to me. I was called directly by 
the Son of God. Come on, somebody. So what are you saying? I didn't look at man's authority. I wasn't called by man. I wasn't ordained by man. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul's authority goes back one step greater than Peter and goes to Jesus Christ, to the God and Father. Amen. Like I said, I'm going to be flipping through different ones. So it emphasizes the apostolic, Paul emphasizes apostolic credentials based on his direct calling from God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle, as Paul uses it here, doesn't, it doesn't merely refer to one who has a, I guess it refers to one who has a message to announce. But to one who's appointed, no, it doesn't refer to someone who has a message to announce, but one who's appointed. How many know that we are appointed of God? If you're called of God, you're appointed of God, and if you recognize that you are a child of God, every one of us are called by God to something. And Paul was recognized, I'm called by God, appointed as a representative, as an official uh, who has a status in the presence of God. Come on. <laughs> the great thing is, is Paul doesn't do this out of duty. He does this out of relationship. He does this out of uh, that call. We do this by regarding in respecting him, we, we honor him because of the authority that God gave him. Not from men, right? Not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ. So Paul's calling as an apostle is not for man. It's, through, it's not through man. It, is, it originates and comes directly from Jesus Christ the Lord. It is a divine call, both from the Father and the Son. You know, and, and the thing is, is that when you look at this, I don't know if you've read through the, this 1 through 10, but Paul gives a kind of a brashness, a bluntness. And, and, and he, doesn't t he, he addresses Galatia different than he's addressed many others. He omits some of the frilly stuff, but he, he becomes very blunt. Have you ever had someone to question your authority and it kind of makes you a little irritated? Some of y'all ain't being honest. Yeah. I mean, if GT, if you went to show up at a job and somebody says, what gives you the right to take this position? What do you know that I don't know? Why do you up me? Makes you a little bit hot under the collar a little bit. Because. Anyway. And that's kind of the, the sense that Paul's gaining. There's, there's a little bit of a righteous indignation here when he shares and... You know, it's not because he, it's not because he doesn't believe who he is. It's not that he has to defend himself, but there's this sense of, hey, guys, this is who I am, right? Martin Luther said this. He said, when I was when I was a young man, I thought Paul was making too much of his call. I did not understand his purpose. I did not, I, I did not then realize the importance of the ministry. We exalt. Our calling not to gain glory among men or money or satisfaction or favor, but because people need to be assured that the words we speak are the words of God. This is not, as he said, this is no sinful pride. It is a holy pride. And, and I think that there's a sense, of, uh, a sense of joy in knowing that when you are called of God, but there's a sense of, of a great Fear in the sense that when we stand behind a pulpit or we stand behind a, a, a lectern teaching someone or preaching, that we that we are accountable to God for what we say. It's a it's a it's a huge burden. It's a huge weight uh, to carry. It's, it goes on and says, "And all the brethren who are with me." Now, let me let me state this before I get any further because I didn't really as Brother Mosier was building on, and I, I had to slow down, big and time out. Um, Galatia. Galatia literally is the, the land or the country of the Gauls, G-A-U-L-S. It, um, it is a Celtic people who kind of were warriors who went across Europe and into Asia Minor who kind of defeated and conquered this land, and they were, this was set up, and, 
and rightly what uh, Dr. Moser was saying, Paul was not addressing just, he wasn't just addressing a church like, uh, like when he says in 1 Thessalonians to the church of Thessalonia. He didn't say that. He was talking about the general area, the churches of Galatia. Now, uh, there is some bit of debate on which churches was he talking to. Was he talking to the churches of the north? Or was he talking to the churches of the south? And, and, and you know, and like I said, there is a debate amongst that. I, my opinion is, is that he was speaking to the churches of the south because this is, this is pre his second and third missionary journey. His second and third missionary journey, he went to the north. Uh, into northern Galatia, and that's when he uh, shared and taught and grew in that time. So he had only, at this point, had a missionary journey to the southern part of Galatia. So uh, I would say that he was probably speaking to that area. And, and of course, at this time, and, and think about this, all of the migrating that happened uh, for the Gauls actually happened uh, 250 to 300 years before Christ was even born. So, so through this time, Rome has now swept in. Rome has conquered this area. These people are now under the subjection of Rome. They're, they're a separate country, but under the, the rulership and dictation of Rome. Does that sound good? Give you a little bit of history there. And so now Paul's saying, hey, brothers... Uh, he said, and all the brethren who are with me. Now, we also understand that Paul didn't collaborate with these guys to write this book, right? This was common for Paul. Paul, in a cordial way, if there were people that he was with, he would always greet from a sense of, hey, these guys are with me, and they greet you as well. Um, I don't know the significance of why he does that, but, you know, I I think that's a, a, for me personally, I like to let people know, hey, man, I'm not by myself here. I'm not alone in this. This is, this is a, a, a thought that's not by myself. Um, so we'll go into Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. 3 through 5. I don't know what your what your best version is. Some uh, some like New King James, some like King James. Uh, you've heard me talk about before. I like the New American Standard Bible. There is a ninety five and now a nineteen or a twenty twenty version. I'm still using ninety five. It says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins." so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our father of, of our god and father and to whom be the glory forever and ever forevermore amen right grace and peace to you this was paul's familiar greeting if you looked at how he greeted people it's unique because it is the, um, the, the term used for grace is a common Greek greeting. So Paul was literally, in this sense, using a Greek and a, a Hebrew greeting when he, and when he presented himself to them. So he was using the Greek in grace and in Jewish culture, peace, shalom, right? And if you look at the Apostle Paul... He used this greeting over a hundred times, just himself. And when you look at other writers, all the other writers together use that term 55 times, all of them together. So Paul, this was a common uh, phrase for, for Paul. And when, when you look at the word grace, it literally means beauty and charm. Now, we have come to use it as a theological term, and we use it as, what, unmerited favor. So we say grace means unmerited favor, but it literally means, great, it literally means charm and beauty. But isn't there something beautiful about grace? Aren't you glad that you received God's grace? There's something beautiful about the grace of God and, and how that touches us and how the Lord blesses us. But, but when you think of... 
this grace, he uses it with this Jewish term shalom. He joined them together. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Amen. Who gave himself. These two terms, really, as Martin Luther said, these two terms, grace and peace, constitute what Christianity is all about. Grace and peace. And it goes, the word of God goes on and says, who gave himself for our sins. Paul wishes grace and peace to all his readers from both God the Father and God the Son. Now, Paul briefly expands this work of God the Son in this, in this passage. For he goes on and says, gave himself for our sins. Throughout the epistle, Paul points out, points the Galatians to, to the centrality of the cross. If we go back, because the crux of this in verse 6, you'll see the crux of this is that they were preaching a, another gospel, right? And so Paul points them to the centrality of the cross. You know, he, he can't wait to make this plain to them and help them understand this is, the, this is the very first, this is the part of the gospel here that you need to understand. And just as the Father gave, Jesus gave. We understand, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But Jesus also gave. Jesus as this scripture right here tells us, Jesus gave himself. Aren't you glad Jesus gave himself? He, he gave the greatest thing that anyone could ever give. He gave himself. I love the song. It's an older worship song. It says, I give myself away. What? So he can use me, right? And, and so Jesus gave himself. One, of the, one might debate that if it was more... A gift for the Father to give the Son or the Son to give himself. But think, Jesus willingly, voluntarily relinquished the divine attributes to leave the throne room of heaven to step on this earth so that he could face as humanity as we, as we have. I mean, it tells us that he could have called down angels, but he chose to step back and say, he was fully human to, so that he could experience everything that we did. Can you imagine the sacrifice that is? He gave himself. I mean, us giving ourselves doesn't seem so magnificent com compared to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, in all of his glory, was willing to step down, even to face the humility of, of humanity, Lowering himself to the lowest places as a servant, even to the point of the cross, the most humiliating death. There's a sense in which do we even begin to fully understand until we give ourselves away? Do we really even are able to serve him completely until we fully give ourselves to him? He gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Our sins. Think about that. This is why Jesus had to give himself our sins, our, our failures, our faults. Jesus was willing, not because of our goodness, <laughs> not because we deserved it, but Jesus gave himself for our sins, our brokenness. These words who gave himself for our sins, are super important. He wanted to tell the Galatians straight out of, out, of, out of that atonement for sins and perfect righteousness are not anything of any... We can't gain it through ourselves. We can only gain it through Jesus Christ. So, glo so glorious is, is this redemption to think... Christ is our victor. He is the one who died for our atonement. Jesus is now completely victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And guess what? Because he did it for us, we too now have victory in Christ Jesus. Powerful. It goes on in that same verse. It says that, we, that he might deliver us from the, this present 
evil age. How many know that there needs to be a deliverance from this age? I don't know why we get so comfortable in this world. I mean, isn't, I mean, didn't Jesus refer to this world, that, 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 that Satan is the prince of this world? I mean, and, and we, he tells us that you can't love this world and love me. You either love one, abhor the other, right? You can't do, have it both ways. But yet we find so much attraction to the world, and that is the flesh in our, of ourselves. And Jesus died so that he could deliver us from this present age. He understood that there was a failing attraction to this world and that the only way that we could overcome that attraction is to be delivered by the power of, of his love, by him coming and dying on the cross, being rose again so that we could have the ability to overcome that same attraction to the world. The thing is, is that when Satan, in John 14, when Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle and showed him, he said, this, look at this kingdom, look at that kingdom. I can give it all to you if you'll just bow down. He didn't understand that he's talking to the king of the universe, right? How ignorant Satan really is to the truth. The idea behind the word deliver, de deliver is not deliverance from present things is deliverance from the power of something because this deliverance is twofold we not only will he deliver us out of this world at some point but he also says that he's delivering us from the power of Satan in this world because I have come to give you life in life more abundant. He gives us the power to overcome right here in this world. Thank you, Jesus, right? Amen. So according, it goes on, it says, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So the purpose of, of this saving work is not primarily to benefit man. It is for the glory of God. We don't do what we do to benefit man. We do it for the glory of God. You deserve the glory and the honor. Come on, right? False doctrine, if you look at Galatians, was a real problem. It was a, it was a problem in the Galatian churches. It was a problem in, in many different New Testament churches. False doctrines robbed God of some of the glory due to Him by emphasizing that you can do this, and you have the ability to gain this uh, favor with God in your own ability. But Paul showed them that the, the true path is only through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's the danger? The danger of, this, of a different gospel. Galatians 1 and 6 says, I am amazed. Another version says, I marvel. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I like the fact that he uses the word different gospel. You know, I don't think that Paul was amazed that there was another gospel presented. He was amazed at the, the quickness, I mean, of how fast and how quickly they turned from the truth of hearing uh, this truth from him and turning away so soon to something different. Like I said, you know, other gospels where, where Paul spoke, if you, you know, you look at Romans 1, 8 through 15, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, Paul is, gives expressions of thanks and praise to these churches as he's talking to them. He doesn't do that with these guys. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, this was the truth that I left with you and and just because somebody comes in here and they say these things, you're just going to run to every wind of doctrine that comes your way. This is the truth. Why would you leave so quickly? Why would you not investigate? Why would you not search? Hmm. 
the, the word from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. They were turning away from, from a person. As they turned to a false idea. And that's the thing that, that really hits. It says, Desert, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Look, you're, you're believing this, but you're not turning your back on me. This is what the Apostle Paul said. You're turning your back on God. You're, you're leaving the truth of God that has been presented to you in Christ Jesus. Going back into Judaism, going back into the law, going back into these, these things that will not save you. Turning away from the truth. Turning away from God's grace and not towards God's grace. Galatians 1 and 7 says, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing or troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You know, it's significant that he, in verse 6, says different because Jesus said, I will send another. And we talk about the parakleos, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And if you just use the word another, you're looking at someone of the same substance, something, a gospel of the same value. But when you say the word different, wait a minute. He's, he's actually identifying the two different Greek words that are used in this passage by saying this is a different gospel. This is less. This is something that will not bring you to the same place as what I taught you. This is less value. It will bring trouble or, as, as I said, it will disturb you. We don't want to be disturbed, do we? <laughs> So what does the gospel mean? Good news. So what Paul's saying is, is this is not good news. What these guys are bringing you is a different. It's not something good. It will be bad news to you. I mean, if I come and tell you, and you've had this freedom in Christ Jesus, you've had this freedom to know that, that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to receive the salvation. It is only through the grace of God that you receive the salvation. And then I come in and say, well, you need to cut your hair. You need to have collared shirts. You need to wear a belt. You know, you, you, you got to look this way. You got to, you know, to be saved, this is the way you got to look. Is that better for you? Do you feel freedom in that? Sounds about like the church I grew up in. <laughs> you didn't have a beehive hairdo and a long dress and, you know, you know women that is. Um, couldn't, wear, couldn't, wear, couldn't wear jewelry and all that stuff. I mean, now look, I'm not saying, understand me that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we do for him because we love him. Not because we're trying to gain favor with him. Not because uh, we are trying to be saved. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that can act religious and righteous and not have a relationship with Jesus. There's a whole lot of people that can say the right words. I mean, if you, wa if you watch a... If you, <laughs> this is funny. If you watch a, mes a Mexican television station when Mexico the national team is playing somebody else, you would think they were Pentecostal preachers. I mean, because they're, you know, I mean, they're talking Jesus, they're talking bless this team, they're talking all this stuff, but, you know, them guys are not probably living for Jesus. It's the, the, the problem is, is that their sport has become their religion, and they have mixed their religion with their sport. And that's what I think that Paul's trying to help us understand that, look, these guys have come in to bring trouble to you. They're, they're, they've tried to come in and they're trying to, to clamp you down. They're trying to, to, to mix Judaism with Christianity. And if you want to live like the Jews then, and you want to follow the law like the Jews, then you have to die by the law. 
Now, I love, I love Bill Simmons, and, and I'm affectionately calling him Bill Simmons because that's what we called him in college. But um, you understand. You know, I remember, I remember him teaching a, a class, Romans and Galatians class, that I took like 30 years ago. And uh, he, was explain, he was explaining the law this way. He says, the law was not given for our salvation. The law was given for us to recognize we needed salvation. The law was given to us to identify what sin is. And so therefore, we don't, uh, we don't trust the law for salvation. We, we see that the law helps us recognize that we can't live this life. We don't know how to live the law. We don't have the ability to live the law. Therefore, we need Jesus. And, and he talked about, he says, if you have a rat and you put cheese out, the rat is going to go to the cheese. He says, it's ratness. Well, we are humans. If you put sin in front of us, the temptation of sin, we're going to go to the temptation of sin because we are sinners. The law identified sin to us. The law helped us recognize that, that this is wrong, but it didn't give us the answer to be saved. Jesus was the answer for our salvation. Jesus was was what gave us, he is, he is the gospel. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, it never talks about justification by faith and all those things. Those are, those are elements that are identified based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. The, 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 the true gospel is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Christos, which is a transliteration of Messiah. The Messiah has come. And we believe that the Messiah has come and that the Messiah has fulfilled what he said he would do. He came and he died for our sins. He became the representative for all of our sins, died on the cross for our sins, rose on the third day, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He overcame sin. He made atonement for us. The gospel is Jesus came. And if we believe in Jesus, then we too are overcomers in Christ Jesus. We too also are found as victors in Christ Jesus. Come on, right? Amen. I don't know really what time I'm supposed to close, but I can, we can go all night. Be good. No, I, I, will, I will be respectful. Um, is it 8 o'clock as we normally? Is it 7.30, 7.45? Anyway, 7.45? Sound right. Okay, good. Got a clear answer. I got two minutes. Good. So, so these guys came in to pervert the gospel. He look, it says, uh, verse 8 says, but even, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As, as we have said before, so I say again now, and he, he says that same thing again. If, anyone, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to, to what you received, he is to be accursed. Verse 10, for, I, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Come on. Look, there's a lot of people who have perverted the gospel for their own gain. I mean, I, I really, it's disappointing the level of perversion of the gospel that we're finding right now in this day and hour. I mean, look, there, there's, a, there's literally a gay church in Knoxville. The perverting of the gospel. Make, trying to make it speak something just to justify the means of what I want to do. And so we have to be super cautious to maintain the fidelity of the Word of God. To maintain the truth of God's word. 
Don't let, I mean, you can't let culture, I mean, that's, there's, a, there's a grappling right now in the church of God about women being ordained as bishops. And it's, it's a grapple because we don't, is, the, is, is it grappling because uh, culturally is it more accepted now? Is it a cultural issue? But does the word of God, should the word of God shape our culture? Or should our culture shape the word of God? And just because, just because we have a, a, a crazy culture that we're living in that's changing by the moment. Doesn't mean that. It shapes the word of God and what we believe. We have to stick to the word of God. What does the fidelity, the truth of the word of God speak to us? And if we're living in the word of God, then that should be what directs us. And the Holy Spirit teaches us these truths from this word. Not because cultural says, well, it's okay to do these things now. Look, culture says it's okay to walk around in something less than your underwear at the beach. And it's not right. Oh, Lord, he's done meddling now. But culture allows us for two men to live together. Culture allows for emojis of a guy being pregnant now. Culture cannot be what dictates our interpretation of the Word of God. The word of God should be what dictates our translation of the culture. And what we recognize is that we live in a sinful world because this word tells us that they will be lovers of themselves. And we have a whole lot of lovers of themselves. And so therefore, we need to be careful of the false doctrines that are trying to be pushed into the culture of the church. I mean, it's like... Culture moves, and so we feel like we can move with culture. Well, that was wrong then, but it's not wrong now. Guess what? If it was wrong, if the Bible said it was wrong then, it's wrong then and wrong now. Amen? So what does it mean by perverting? And I'm, 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 gonna, I'm closing. Look, the Word of God, the gospel, the true gospel is offensive to our human nature. Why? Why is it offensive? Because the gospel offends our pride. The gospel, we like to say, I can do this. What's our favorite term? I got this, right? So the true gospel offends our pride because there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But I'm trying. Are you a Christian? How many people have ever heard, Hey, you living for Jesus? I'm trying. Right? I'm trying. It has nothing to do with are you trying. It has to do, are you believing him? Have you surrendered your life to him and letting him be God in your life? Right? It's not about trying. It's about obedience, believing, believing. Do I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I believe it. And because I believe that, according to Abraham, it says it was credited unto him as faith, right? As righteousness. His faith was accredited unto righteousness. So therefore, my bank account was empty of righteousness. And because I believe God put a fullness in my bank account, and now I'm righteous, not because I did anything, even the very faith that I exerted to believe in him was a gift of him, right? It's offensive. The gospel is offensive to our wisdom. It's, it saves us by something Many consider foolishness. God became man and dying a, a humiliating, dis disgraceful death on our behalf. It even offends our wisdom. It offends our knowledge. It tells us to believe something which goes against scientific knowledge and personal experience that a dead man, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead in a glorious new body that would never die again. The gospel is offensive to us, to our human nature. But man, what a freeing gospel it is when you believe it. <laughs> Amen? Amen.
lastly, it says to it says that if anyone preaches, it says even if an angel comes and tries to preach something different than this gospel, they should be accursed. God help us, right? To be sensitive, to be open. For I do, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Guys, we don't do this. For the pleasure of man. That is one thing that I have. I mean, look, it's it's a part of it's a part of my nature. I'm a people pleaser. And I've struggled with that all my life. And it it wears on me a lot because I, it hurts me when people, you know, aren't happy with something. It, it's a struggle. It's it's you know, how many how many find yourself being a people pleaser? My son Wesley, he could care less what anybody else thinks. He is so solid in who he is. I mean, if he's around somebody, they do something, he's like, they're crazy, I ain't doing that. He's just very confident in who he is. My son Jaden is pretty much that same way. Eli is just like me. He wants to please everybody. And so no's a hard word. To say no is a hard word. But let me encourage you, when it comes to the word of God, you can't waver. You can't please man because the world wants you to, to quote unquote tolerate sin. The word tolerate is no longer what we grew up with the word tolerate meaning. We tolerated something we, means we didn't agree with it but we're, you know, we're, we're allowing it to be around. But I think that the church has tolerated sin so long that now toleration has become an agreeance. And, and, and one leader told me in Honduras, he said, he said, Paul, if you don't say anything, it means you agree with it. And at some point, we have to speak up. Now we understand that we, we, we share the truth in love, right? But sometimes love hurts. Sometimes love is hard for, for them to swallow. Jesus even said, you know, or they said of Jesus that he would, he would be a sweet-smelling savor to some and a stumbling block to others. It might be hard for people to grasp the truth, but we are not here to please man. We're here to please God. And if we live for God and it means that they take us out because we believe for God, so be it because this world is my temporary passing ground. Uh, you know, the Bible says, lay not up your treasures where moth and rust corrupt, but lay your treasures in heaven, right? So, look, if this is all I have is this world, then I'm hopeless already because it's decaying. My air condition has been out for three days because it's decaying, <laughs> It was 32 years old. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus, for 32 years of an air condition. And I look in the mirror every day, and I recognize that this is getting older. <laughs> this used to be red and brown, and now it's gray. Look, we don't have enough time to play around. We don't have time to, to please everybody. We need to stick to the Word of God. Love people, love God, love his truth, but make sure you are obeying this word of God. Amen? Don't let false, don't let anyone try to teach another gospel. Jesus is the only way. And that's where the freedom we find. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to, to start this journey in Galatians. And Lord, I, I know that there is so much depth that these guys are going to jump into and, Lord, I'm looking so forward to the freedoms that we're going to find and the gems and nuggets that, that of revelation that you're going to bring throughout these next few weeks. And I pray that, uh, that we will be obedient to your word. I pray that we will have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, that we will dive in wanting to seek your truth, humbly asking for your wisdom 
And, Lord, allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to live out this truth every single day. God, we praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, um, if you don't know, Gary Stott had his surgery on Monday. I think there was an email sent out. Good. It was good news. They were able to... Um, it was a best-case scenario that was able to reattach the retina, and he has a minimal time of, of recovery, so he's doing really well. So praise God for that. God bless you guys.